Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of In Depth with Beth and Seth, the podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis. My name is Seth Patterson, and I am your minister for spiritual formation and theater. And we are right now discussing a sermon from February 7th, 2021, preached by our colleague, Duane Davis, and it is called The Struggle is Real. Uh, the scripture used was Mark 1, 29 through 39. And to help us talk through this and think through all these questions is my friend and colleague, Beth Hoffman Faith. Welcome, Beth. Hello. Hello, everyone. It's always good to be here with you, Seth, and to talk a little bit more in depth uh, about what we heard. You uh, use the Sunday. name of our podcast as a in See a how sentence. I did that? See how it, I did that? It's like when you watch a movie and they'll like use the title and you go, oh, oh there we are. Yeah, okay, see? now I get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're clever like that, Seth. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> I am uh, Beth Hoffman Faith, and I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship. Glad to be with you all today. And this is your first day back after a little bit of time. I'm not going to say you had time off. You just weren't working in the same way. Right. So, yes. Welcome I'm, back. Thank you. January 29th, uh, my two children and I headed east to take Ellie back to Boston, and it was a relentless five days of driving. Um, which included a return trip through uh, a nor'easter. That's what they're called, snowstorms out there. Yeah, um, nor'easter. And I came back uh, completely depleted and spent and uh, in a brain fog. I was wise to take a couple of days off, which was pre-planned. And now I, I'm a little bit more centered and glad to be back to work. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're back. We missed you. We needed you. Working as a team, having a person out of the conversation is, is missing. It, it's needed. So yeah, glad there is power back. and teamwork. Thanks. I'm glad to. So Dwayne here, this is only his fourth sermon, not counting his candidating sermon at Plymouth. He preached the first three weeks of January and then you and I stepped in and now he is back for what will be our pattern of he will preach twice a month and you and I will take the other two. Uh, so often every other week, and we're also approaching Lent, so there's this is the second to last week before we get to Lent. He uses the scripture, Mark 1, 29-39, and really dives into one sentence of it. He took her by the hand and lifted her up. But then he played with the Greek and looked at the other translations, so it can also read, he took her by the hand and helped her up. Or, he took her by the hand and and raised her up. But the point being is that he took her by the hand. Yes, that to me really became the theme of the sermon, which is that Jesus offered a hand to someone who others would claim to be invisible, invaluable, insignificant. And Jesus, as Duane says fairly eloquently, interrupts the order of things by offering her a hand. Something that I think bears reminding is that in first century Palestine, which was a vassal kingdom of the Roman Empire, or parts of it were Roman, parts of it were vassal kingdoms, but it was the way that what we now call Judaism worked at that time was there was a lot of purity involved. The law was the way by following the 
um, Mosaic law, the law of Moses by following the Torah was a way to show that you were not Roman. It was a way to hold your identity. It was a way to retain your history in the face of an empire that was trying in many ways to make everybody the empire. If -hmm. everybody became Roman, then they would have an easier time of controlling everything. So one of the ways to retain their Palestinianness, their Israeliness, their Jewishness was to hold firm to laws. And a lot of them had to do with who you could touch, what happens after you touch them. And so for Jesus to touch a woman that was not his wife, that was not his mother, and that was not his sister, brought great consequences for him. He had to step away and purify himself for a certain amount of time. He had to do work. There could be misconceptions of why he touched her. So there, it's not just, did he do something? But the radical nature of this man touching this woman in this way by her hand without worrying about what society was going to tell him was radical. Well, you make a really good point, Seth. And we should be used to Jesus breaking the rules by now. If we know anything about Jesus, <laughs> right? He, uh, he didn't care so much about the protocol of the day uh, or the Mosaic law. For him, it was uh, about relationship and reaching over, beyond, under, through status quo. And one of the things that Duane says early on in the sermon is something I've already said, which Jesus intervenes to interrupt the order of things. And I have to say that the first question I had when I heard it and when I read it again is, how would Jesus intervene now? You mean in our February 2021 mid-pandemic post-election American time? Yeah, exactly. What would that look like? We can, you know, wax eloquent about the ways that Jesus upset the status quo through the stories we know in scripture. I just have to wonder what would that kind of intervention look like in the times we live in now? That's a great question. And I I hope those people listening wonder that for themselves, because we could offer a lot of ideas and some of them would be right, but, or possibly right. But there's, please, those of you listening, (laughs) mull on that. How would Jesus intervene if he were here now? In what ways would he upset the empire today and break the social cultural rules that we hold? Because when we talk about what Jesus did, and I think that that is, again, another thing that Duane does in the sermon is then uses Jesus' action as a model for our own. Yeah. So Jesus offered a hand to someone others wouldn't touch. Therefore, we're called to do the same. And I guess that's why that question just sort of ruminates in my heart. So how would we model Jesus today? I remember when I was in high school, uh, those what WWJD bracelets were big. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, I found them that they seemed to be a way for people to be hypocritical, but justify it. Like they could do whatever they want as long they, as they wore this bracelet that said, what would Jesus do? That was my Northeast Ohio high school perception of it. And I really dismissed the question, what would Jesus do? Because all I saw was people saying, well, I could do whatever I want as long as I show that I love Jesus by wearing this Mm. rubber bracelet. But it is the question, right? What would Jesus do? And as a follower of Jesus, what are you willing to do in mirroring that and following that and responding to that? Well, and again, then we ask the question, And you and I were talking before we started recording about, aren't these the same things we keep asking over and over? Um, You know, the thesis of this sermon is shouldn't be new information to folks who have listened to sermons 
at Plymouth before. It's a common theme that we have to kind of reach beyond our fear. You preached about it just last week uh, that we, you know, we need to choose love over fear. We need to reach out rather than close in. We, we need to, to take a first step. And why are we so reluctant to do it? Why do we have to keep preaching the same thing over and over? And I say a collective we, because us preachers are culpable too. We, we aren't... <laughs> We aren't necessarily modeling Jesus all the time because we are often struck by the fact that we don't know what to do. Are you but, trying to imply that we are also human mm, and make mistakes like people do? <laughs> Careful. We don't, we don't want to be knocked off our, our pedestals, Beth. <laughs> real transparent ways. Yes. Um, but I, I do think it begs the question, what, what prevents us? Why, why do we have to keep issuing this call? inviting people into this particular message. Have I stumped you, Steph? <laughs> easily. I am easily stumped, Beth. Uh, well, what I was trying to think, I wonder, and this is just, I'm sort of think talking as I'm thinking. And what I'm wondering about is if part of the reason we have to keep talking about this is that we also, as the preachers, as the ones who keep asking these questions, if we are conflating some things that are unhelpful, where we conflate, where we say like individual bigotry is not the root cause of suffering of the descendants of slaves. It is systemic things. But then when we talk about change, we often talk about systemic change, but that is slow and difficult. And there's only so many opportunities in our life where we are sort of invited into the systemic change. We vote, we can protest, we can write letters, we can call legislators, but really in the end, the system is both us and not us. And then we do we conflate that with our power to lift people up by the hand, which is then often feels very small. How do I teach my daughter? Mm. How do I how do I react when somebody needs lifting up that nobody will notice and it won't change the system. I don't know if that makes sense. It well, it does, but and I think what I'm hearing in Dwayne's words is something that I certainly believe to be true. It's all about relationship. Yeah. And so the only way really to change a system is to begin by offering your hand to another. And I think maybe what keeps people from doing that, number one, is just an overwhelming sense of fear, but that perhaps it doesn't feel like enough, right? The problems I, are so big. Right. And if I just touch this one person, or if I just help this one person, whoever that one person might be, well, that's not going to make any difference in systemic racism and the destruction of poverty and whatever other system we're trying to recreate. But I would argue that, yes, it does. It does. It makes a difference to the person you're reaching out to. And who knows what the ripple effect would be if we get sort of cowed by thinking about how to how to change the entirety of a system. I think we just need to step back and then look for the one that needs a hand, needs to be lifted up, raised up, welcomed, soothed, comforted, hmm. recognized, seen. Yeah, I think you're onto something, Beth. <laughs> well, again, it's all about relationship. That's really how I've always approached ministry. It's how I approach life. I think it's. It's what makes the church the church. And we're certainly realizing that in these days when we can't be together in person and together. How do we cultivate and sustain and encourage relationship 
because we are so desperate for connection, human connection. And that connection has cost. I mean, as much as we can say that it's all about relationships and it's as if it's a pure gain, there, there is a cost to that. There is risk. There are risks involved in putting yourself out there, in creating a relationship, in helping somebody, in lifting somebody else by their hand. There is some amount of cost to that choice. And oftentimes we don't know what the cost is until afterwards. And Duane asks this question also. He says, are we willing to pay the price of truly resisting the narrative of national greatness and exceptionalism by taking people by the hand and raising them up even when it's not popular nor convenient? What if our resistance to injustice comes in the form of upending the order of things? But he says cost. There is a cost to it. And I wonder if that's the cost that is the that point where when we preach these sermons, I doubt anybody comes away and says, no, I'm not doing that. Mm. You know, people say, absolutely. Yes, I do that. I want to do that. But when it comes time to pay for it, so to speak, it's easier to not. Well, because tell me why the cost is change, right? The cost is personal change. You were telling me about a conversation you were in with a group, and I'd love for you to share that because I just think it's a perfect example of this. Yeah, we do. Once a month, we discuss the Seeing White podcast, and we're moving through all the series. And we did the fourth one, third one, I don't remember, I'm not keeping track, recently. And at the end of it, the question was posed to the whole group, how is what you're learning going to change you or changing you? And the conversation quickly became about big systemic change, voting the right people in, changing the laws, doing all these things that were big and systemic. And I stepped in and said, I'd like to modify the question. What are you going to do? How are you going to change? Not how are you going to change something else? And I think that that's part of this whole thing is we want the change to happen. So we try to do it in the biggest ways possible. And then we get frustrated because that is a tall mountain to climb. Yeah. And in the end, like I, Nora and I tell our daughter almost every day, you can only control you and the decisions you make and the relationships you form. You can't make somebody else do something. Right. So the only way we're going to upend status quo is through our own transformation and different approach and willingness to change our thoughts, our actions our preconceptions, our misconceptions. Yeah. And that's a practice. That's a spiritual practice. Yeah. I think you preached some sermons on that, (laughs) didn't you, Seth? I think I did. I'm teaching a (laughs) class on it right now. So I'm remembering what I said. And it is, it's a practice. It's something that much like contemplation, much like meditation, but other spiritual practices, you're awful at it at first and it hurts and you don't like it, but the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And then you grow. And so, dear listeners, just take a few minutes this week to think about how are you called not to change the world, but to change yourself? Because that is all we can change. And the next time you have the opportunity, will you be courageous enough to offer your hand? I know that's what I'm thinking about. Amen. Thanks, Beth. And thank you to Duane for preaching a sermon worth talking about. Appreciate you all listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts if you ever have any. I mean, I know you have thoughts if you ever want to share them with us. (laughs) Uh, Be well. Have a peaceful and justice-filled week. Blessings. Blessings, everyone.